The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. What is the most exotic place you have ever been? For me, it's Tibet. So I'm going to tell you about the necklace that I'm wearing, or if you're watching on Victoria Moran NYC on YouTube. You can actually see it. It's a beautiful big locket. And inside, if you open up the yarn that's holding the back on, you pull out a parchment scroll that has written in Tibetan over and over again the classic Tibetan Buddhist mantra, Om Mane Padme Hum. So I asked you that question about an exotic place you've been or maybe an exotic place you want to go because today Main Street Vegan travels. So after the break, we're going to be speaking with Sunny Sattva of the Vegan Africa Fund. And right now we are going to be speaking with someone who takes his podcast guests on amazing journeys to places from which they'll never come back and which maybe exist in this real world and maybe not. What do you think? Hey, everybody, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. So happy to have you with us today, because you know what? I haven't been many places since we started this pandemic a couple of years ago, and to just think about going places is making me really, really excited Plus, I'm just crazy about my first guest. As I told you, he is also a podcaster. And we actually met when we were both doing some travels from New York to Philadelphia, if that counts as travel, at a, a podcasting conference. And uh, we discovered uh, 
co-interest in veganism. And uh, there you go. Lo, these three, four years later, um, fast friends. And I'm very, very happy to be featuring today, Stephen Shalowitz, the host of the One Way Ticket podcast. On it, as I said, he explores with his acclaimed and accomplished guests. And I have to tell you, I don't know how he does it. This guy gets people, you would never think that, that a podcaster would be interviewing, but he does amazing, fascinating people. And he asks them where they would go if given a one-way ticket to anywhere, past or present, real or imaginary. And he is now a full-fledged vegan and a world traveler himself who enjoys venturing off to off-the-grid countries. Welcome, Stephen. Victoria, it's so lovely to be here. And thanks so much for inviting me on your show. And that locket is indeed beautiful. Ah, thank you. It has a lot of memories way back in the early 90s. Um, and, and Tibet, I have to say for me, that's probably always going to be the off the charts, most spectacular, that phrase out of this world really fits. It's out of my world. So where are some places like that for you? Well, Victoria, I just have to say we might have run into each other in Tibet in the early 90s because I was living in China from 90 to 97, and I did go to Tibet in January of 1992. So I don't know when you were you there at the same time. I was there in December of 91 and 93. Oh, so we just so missed close. each other. Yeah, just did you stay at other. the Holiday Inn? I did stay at the Holiday Inn. Part of the reason why I did was because I was working in advertising at the time. As I said, in China, I was working for Young and Rubicam Advertising and Holiday Inn Hotels was one of my clients. So I ended up indeed staying there and I'm guessing you did as well. That was the only show in town, really. It was the only yeah. place really to stay in Lhasa at the time. Well, and just the fact that there was a Holiday Inn in Lhasa was spectacular and just really quickly, what happened to us was that our, our guide didn't show up. And at least then, if you were not part of a large tour, you had to be a little tour of just yourself and your own family, whoever was with you. So we managed to get a Chinese guide to take us into Lhasa with his other clients. There was no record of our supposing to be there or anything. So we bribed the police, which is typical doing business, at least at that time there. And we got to stay. And when the Tibetans heard that there were Americans there with nobody watching them, we started having these strings of people outside our door. Can you get this to my relative in Minneapolis? Can you take this to my relative in Kathmandu? And so it started a whole thing, which was really what was the reason for the second trip. So How fascinating is that? I love that story. And you've had magic much more recently. So tell us about being in Saudi Arabia when you first went vegan. Right. So, uh, you know, you were asking about some of the places that I've been to. I have really always enjoyed going to rather off the grid countries, North Korea, Syria, Libya, Sudan, Algeria, Iran. But I did visit Saudi Arabia right as I was beginning my vegan journey. And that was towards the end of 2018. I think we met in the summer of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. And that's when I was really kicking it up into high gear. And you really had a, a, a wonderful impact on me at that time. So I went with a group to Saudi Arabia. And my philosophy is that if you go somewhere with a group, it's always a good idea to arrive a day or two early 
and to stay a day or two afterwards so that you can enjoy the place and do those things that you wouldn't normally do with a group. In other words, you can have your own time and you can do your own exploration. So I got there and the first stop was Jeddah, flew in there, and I had about two days to myself. And in the evenings, the first evening that I was there, because I slept most of the day to recover from jet lag, and I was exploring the neighborhood and there was a Yemenite restaurant just around the corner from where I was staying. And I went in, and my Arabic is very limited, but I pointed in the guidebook about, it didn't say about being vegan, it just said vegetarian. So I said vegetarian, you know, I pointed to vegetarian and I pointed to egg and to dairy and said la, which means no in Arabic. And I pointed then to uh, items on the wall because that's where the photos were of the different dishes. And I also had the restaurant owner also help me along to do some ordering in Victoria, I have to tell you, I had the most extraordinary meals at that little hole-in-the-wall restaurant uh, for the two nights that I was there. Then I met the group, and it was a little bit more difficult traversing the country being plant-based. Let's just put it that way. It really, really was. Um, so it was a challenge. If I had to do it over again, I think I know how I would do it over again, if you will. Um, but I'll never forget that meal though, that I had those two meals actually that I had at the very beginning. And the funny thing is, is that sitting on the other side of this very small restaurant were two gentlemen, they looked very distinguished. They were just in civilian clothing, but they looked, they had gravitas as we would say. And I asked them what they were. I asked if they spoke English. I asked what they were eating and they invited me over. And it turns out they were both former Saudi generals in the Saudi army. And both of them have sons here in the United States training. And we had the loveliest evening just chatting and eating. And it was a wonderful experience. But then I have to tell you, Victoria, just several months after that, I was sent to Israel because I also produce and host a podcast. In addition to the one-way ticket show, I also produce and host the Israel cast podcast, where we talk about interesting things going on in Israel from water to agriculture, science, technology, and the culinary world. And I did something like 17 interviews in one week. And my head was just spinning by the time I got on the plane. But in everyone's office, when I went to do the interview, of course, they're incredibly hospitable. And they asked what I would like to drink. Would I like coffee? And I said, yes. And I asked if they had non-dairy things to put in the coffee. And the response that I got from everybody was, oh, yeah, we're all vegan here. And... <laughs> And as you know, and I'm sure your wonderful listeners know as well, uh, Israel has more vegans per capita than anywhere else. And it was just an absolute culinary wonderland traversing the country and uh, eating all the wonderful uh, vegan options there. Wow. That sounds like the promised land in more ways than one. But um, bum, absolutely. That is so cool. wonderful. It was a fabulous experience. Uh so in addition, Stephen, to your own travels and to the one-way ticket show, which is just fabulous, everybody, you've got to start listening to this show. Just when you see the list of people that he's had on it. Which gonna, includes Victoria Moran, we must say. Thank you. Yes. But you're, you're going to see these fascinating people and think, well, that's Stephen Shalowitz. He's a really Renaissance guy. Well, yes, he is indeed. And it is the one-way ticket show. You need the the uh, in order to find it readily. But you've done something more recently that is, oh my gosh, it's humanitarian, it's 
loving, it's kind, it's courageous, it's thrilling. You have spoken with a true hero of our time. So tell us about the gentleman in Afghanistan. Oh, sure. Well, thanks for thanks for that, Victoria. Um, to take a big step back, um, as I said, I do the other podcast called Israel Cast, and I did an interview, and there was someone in Afghanistan named Waiz Habib who heard the interview, and he was friends with my guest, and so he friended me on Facebook, and we became Facebook friends, and we struck up a friendship. Uh, he's in Kabul, or he was in Kabul, and when things started getting really bad, he and I'm abbreviating the story in the interest of time, we were in touch and he asked me to help him get out because he had written Taliban death threats because he had worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and he advocated, among other things, for religious freedom and tolerance in Afghanistan. And he went to the airport when the Taliban was just beginning to take over uh, Kabul. He was beaten up. He had to go back home. And I saw him beaten up over Zoom or over um, Facebook FaceTime. And he asked me for help. And I thought, what am I going to do? And so I immediately reached out to both my senators here in New York, and also to my congressman, Jerry Nadler, um, crickets from the senators. But fortunately, Jerry Nadler's office has a immigration specialist, a wonderful woman, Jenna Jaffe, I want to give her a shout out. And to make a very long story short, uh, we were able to get him out, and he's now in a refugee camp in uh, Abu Dhabi. Uh, this was a very long, it was, it was long from the standpoint, it was from August to October 18th. He finally flew out on October 18th. So it wasn't months and months and months, but it was a very um, emotional, difficult process, those about two months that we were trying to get him out because the Taliban was going door to door looking for people. Um, and he, of course, as I said, had written Taliban death threats and it was just a very, very dangerous situation. And then even his getting back to the airport was also a dicey situation because of all of the checkpoints. And then even once he was at the gate and he was texting me while he was at the gate of the airport to get in, and you have to understand he had no visa and he had an expired passport. So really that was another added layer. And he was texting me to say that he was at the, and to add another layer of complexity, there were um, Taliban folks that were doing fake calls to people to say, we're here to help you and we will transport you to the airport. But, okay, but clearly they had other, other ideas for these people. In any event, so he's texting me from the gate of the airport saying, I'm here, I'm waiting for the relief organization to take me through and to clear me through this last Taliban checkpoint. It was almost, Victoria, like watching that movie Argo where they're trying to leave Tehran after these Americans that were, that were trying to leave. That's what it was really like. I am just massively abbreviating the story. So now he's in a refugee camp. And I do want to give a shout out, though, also to the countless people that are doing really yeoman's work to help the Afghan people and to help even more people to get out. I'm right now working to try and help to get my friend's sister out, who's a nurse, and she's almost finished with medical school. And she has two very intelligent children, uh, 17 and 21. Both of them speak English beautifully, and they're trying to get out. And when I spoke to my friend's niece... 
And I said, what would you like to do once you get out? She said, I want to become a lawyer. And then I want to become a judge because I want to go after men who are mistreating women. And, you know, when you hear this, your heart breaks. And very sadly, the U.S. government right now is is nowhere to be found because my friend, for example, Waiz, who's in the refugee camp in Abu Dhabi, is asking, well, what's the next step? And unfortunately, I can't give him a next step because I've reached out to people, even at the State Department, that say that it's just a bureaucratic nightmare right now. So it's all a very upsetting, very sad situation. But I will say, again, I want to give a shout out to all those people that are doing so much work for the Afghan community, one of whom is Jason Jones, who actually I had on the show several episodes ago, who runs something called the Vulnerable People Project. And he has been getting people out of Afghanistan. And he's also been delivering aid to Afghanistan right now because um, there are food shortages left, right, and center there. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for the update. Thank you for what you did for this gentleman and for what you're trying to do for this woman and her children. I, I love it when vegans do humanitarian things for humans, because so many people say that we don't, that we're only focused on non humans, you know, and, and I'm very proud to be part of a group of people who are focused on all living beings, yeah. and, and who just value life. Right. So, thank well, you. It- Oh my gosh. Well, that's very kind of you, you know, and there's a whole other layer dimension to this because during World War II, my late maternal grandfather tried to help a man and his wife and daughter um, that are, that were Jewish leave Rome um, during the Holocaust. And I have all of the letters from this man and my grandfather wasn't able to, uh, but the man survived and his wife and daughter did not. And I have since connected with this man's uh, two children um, through a whole series of events. So it's almost like I was doing this also in memory of my grandfather as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Humanitarian genes. Those are some good ones to have. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we try our best, you know, and so hopefully one day he'll be here and, um, uh, I don't know if he's going to go vegan or not, but uh, we'll certainly introduce a plant-based diet to him uh, when the time comes and he's Absolutely. ready. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Wow. So uh, let, let me just ask you in the interest of our kind of travel theme with today, where did you get the idea for the one-way ticket show? It's so unique. I got it on a bus, Victoria, in Singapore. And the backstory behind that is, and before we started recording, I had mentioned that I was uh, on radio in Singapore. So I worked in advertising Monday through Friday, and then Saturdays and Sundays, I had a weekend radio show. It's called Encuentro Latino on Gold 90 FM. Got to give them a shout out. And it was a Latin music and lifestyle show. And I used to interview a lot of celebrities that would come through, whether they were Latin or not. And, you know, the Ricky Martins, Julio Iglesias, Enrique Iglesias, the Buena Vista Social Club and on and on. And I used to, because I was, I had a regular job, I had to prepare my show and it was a three hour show, Saturday and Sunday each. I had to prepare my show when I was going to work or when I was in the shower or when I was working out, I had to prepare it all in my head. And I remember once being on a bus on Beach Road and I thought to myself, where would all of these celebrities go if I gave him a one-way ticket, no coming back. It just popped into my head. 
And I thought, I'm not going to ask it now. I know one day I'm going to move back to the US and I'll do a whole show around it. And that's how the show started. That's so cool. <laughs> and I decided to do it as a podcast because, you know, when I moved to New York and I said I was on radio for seven years with the number one drive time weekend show, people thought I had three heads because they didn't even know where Singapore was on the map. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so that's why I started to do it as a podcast. Oh, that's so fascinating. And things have just changed so rapidly in, in the past 10, 20 years, because I used to have a radio show as well. Uh the Charmed Life and The Charmed Life 2 was two weekend days. <laughs> and that was on the Martha Stewart channel of Sirius, or it's now Sirius XM. It's still out there. But, you know, we're now in the era of podcasts, which is fabulous and amazing. And there are so many of them and they're so fabulous. And you can listen to the ones that zero in on your interests and who you specifically are. It's a little bit hard to get noticed because there are so many So what are some of your tips for people who want to do podcasts and have an idea for one, but just haven't taken the plunge yet? Yeah. The first thing that I would say is um, just start doing it. And, you know, once you get rolling, that momentum really begins to create more momentum. So number one is just start doing it. Do your homework in terms of, you know, getting the right equipment and doing it. It's actually quite easy. I'm a big technophobe. So uh, even if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, But I would say number one, no, just get started doing. But even before that is know what your show is and let it be authentic to yourself. In other words, don't try and copy somebody else because again, everyone has his and her own voice that should get out there. And so make it your own voice. Um, and do the show that you want to do and know whom you are speaking to. In other words, they say, know who your target audience is. And I think that's also very important as well. Share it and try and go on other podcasts because that's the way that you can grow your own podcast. I have to say, Victoria, I'm so guilty about not going on other people's podcasts because I just, I, that's why I so appreciate coming on, on your show. Um, but I would say go on other people's podcasts to help promote your show, but just do the podcast and, and send the message out that you want to send. And I think people really appreciate that authenticity. And something I love, Stephen, is that these shows are out there forever. Yes. So if somebody says something brilliant in 2018, the year we met, and then somebody listens in 2022, it's just as good. Absolutely. And I th- that, that's what I like about your show. And frankly, that's what I enjoy doing about my show is that they're evergreen. Um, and it's not necessarily a point in time. Ours aren't new shows, but they have evergreen content. And the other thing is, Victoria, and I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a big piece of advice for anyone that does want to do a podcast you would be so surprised by the nuggets that people take out of your show and the things that they will remember. And you've done a lot of shows. I've done close to 250 episodes of this show. And certainly when I was on radio doing it every you know Saturday and Sunday for seven years, I, I don't even know how many shows I did. And people would stop me and they'd say, do you remember you had this guest or that guest? And they said this or that or this or that. And I have to say sometimes... No, I didn't remember that because, you know, I mean, but, but most of the time you, you end up remembering the kernels and the nuggets, but, um, but it's amazing the things that people remember. Yeah. It, it's funny as I think we're up to, I think, 480 episodes oh, now, goodness, we're congratulations. At 500, but, and I've had so many amazing guests, 
But there's something that somebody said, Dr. Scott Stoll, medical doctor, he said, you never really own anything except your choices. I found that life-changing. How powerful. How powerful. Well, speaking of life-changing, though, I, I do want to say a couple of things that anyone wants to start a podcast. The podcast, know why you're doing it. And in the process, it is going to change your life. Because, Victoria, I will say, and I'm not just saying this because we're on this um, call right now and I'm doing the interview, but you know, you changed my life in terms of the way that I eat. Because I, during our interview, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was sharing with you what I was having for breakfast and I have an enormous breakfast every day. Happy to share what that is. One of the things that I was having were eggs and you said something so simple that changed my life. And you said, maybe you just need to rethink your breakfast. And I don't know if you remember saying that or not, (laughs) but the light bulb went off in my head. And so since then I would make a, I've made a big pot of lentils, pink lentils, And I scoop it out into a bowl every morning and I add black pepper, turmeric, chili flakes, and um, black pepper, turmeric, chili flakes, and a lot of oregano. I'm a big oregano fan and I mix it all up. And that's what I have in place of my, my eggs. So I have you to thank for that. And I will say so many other guests that have said things to me that have really stuck with me that doing a podcast really does change one's life for the good. And just yeah. the sheer people that you meet and befriend, really. Yes. And to know that it's doing that for your listeners, too, is really, really cool. Yes. And you just, you're loving being vegan. I can tell that every time we talk. Yes, it's <laughs> so a whole new adventure. for breakfast, and we're down to our last couple of minutes, so we want to know sure. your breakfast. And then you're also really rocking at, at the gym. So give us a little yeah. info on that. So I will say, so during COVID, let's start with that. During COVID, like everybody else, or a lot of, they. by the way, so one of my friends said uh, about guys, after COVID, you either ended up as a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. <laughs> Okay. Well, let's say I wasn't quite a chunk, but I did gain 10 pounds, but I've lost it, uh, lost it back. But I will say that, you know, having gone vegan um, and I will say, you know, I'm in my fifties and I will say that I'm in as good a shape now as I was, say, for example, in my twenties. And when I, you know, do my free weights, et cetera, and I can see my muscle tone and that I think, wow, that's all on a plant-based diet. And it's, it's really, I, you know, it's a wow kind of thing for me. So I am, am loving vegan, am loving being uh, vegan. Um, nutritional yeast or nooch is my best friend. I put it on everything except anything sweet. And do we have enough time that I'll just share what I have for breakfast? I don't know we how have, much time we have. We have just a minute, one minute. <laughs> minute. I have a citrus fruit. I have the aforementioned lentils and I have a bowl of oatmeal with chia seeds, ground flax meal, hemp seeds, cinnamon, nutmeg, walnuts, some raisins, half a banana and almond milk or ripple inside together with coffee. That sounds wonderful. I am coming to your house for breakfast and anytime. I know where you live. <laughs> you, you and all your wonderful listeners, anytime anyone wants a good breakfast, come on over. I'm here on the Upper West Side. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. And look out for Stephen at the onewayticketshow.com. We'll put all of those URLs in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Thank you. Thank you. And Stephen Shalowitz for being our friend and for all the wonderful things you do. Oh, Victoria, thank you. Thank you. Stay with us. We'll be back with Sunny Sattva and the Vegan Africa Fund. Hear these messages and we'll be right back. 
Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody, to our very international episode of the Main Street Vegan podcast. But before we talk with our wonderful second guest, I just want to do a shout out to our wonderful sponsor. I always have so much to talk about. I forget (laughs) that we do a lot of the work that we do uh, thanks to a compliment. Compliment is a wonderful, wonderful line of supplements made by vegans for vegans. Uh, Matt Frazier, the meat-free athlete, is part of that. Uh, Dr. Joel Kahn and all kinds of, of wonderful people. Pamela Ferguson, RD, PhD. So they have all kinds of things for whatever you need in your world and your life and your diet. The very basics, vitamin D and B12 and those omega-3 fatty acids. If that's all you want, get that. Or you can go to Complement Plus. That's what I take. And then you get all kinds of other stuff in there that I think is a good idea for being youthful and thriving all your life long. And they've got a protein powder and all kinds of cool stuff. So their website is lovecomplement.com. And if you put in the discount box Main Street in all caps, you will get some money off. And so money off is always a good thing. And introducing you to somebody absolutely fabulous that I've met in the past year is a really good thing too. She has the most beautiful name, both her names, Sunny Sattva. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about those beautiful names. And what Sunny is doing in the world is heading up the Vegan Africa Fund, a venture capital initiative focused on scaling community-driven vegan ventures across Africa with operations powered by the eco-friendly VAF Impact Crypto. And their mission is to make veganism accessible in Africa while helping eco-entrepreneurs scale their production to provide high-value products for export to the global vegan community. Welcome, Sunny. Thank you so much, Victoria. I'm so excited to be here, to be speaking with you and your audience. And that was an amazing intro. So thank you so much. Well, I'm excited too, because I have never been to Africa. I would really love to go. And I have no idea what crypto is, except that (laughs) people invest in it. And some people seem to make money and some people seem to lose money. So we're going to learn all these wonderful things today. But let us start at the very beginning with your (laughs) journey and how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been vegan for about six years. And the initial catalyst for me going vegan was definitely health. 
I had a partner at the time was diagnosed with some really serious illnesses and we went vegan together to try to reverse that. But my background is in bioengineering. I have a degree where I worked in bioinstrumentation, so interfacing the body with technology. And in this career path, um, I had this job position with the US Army Research Office that was highly dependent on animal testing. And working in this environment where I realized just how much we have commoditized animals for so much that it's almost just no one's questioning it. It really made me feel very strongly aligned with some ethical vegan standpoints and forced me to kind of shift my view of my place in this world. And so I actually left that job and worked on only doing work that aligned with my mission. So my vegan journey started with the health side and then it completely um, has been encompassed in every aspect of my life. And I think that going vegan was one of the best things that I've ever done for my health and of course for the animals and the environment. And part of my work that I'm so excited about is helping make veganism more accessible. It's one of the fastest periods of adoption of a vegan diet that we've ever seen. And it's really exciting to be in this movement when there's so much growth happening. So where did you grow up? What's a little bit of your background like? And what got you to Africa? Yeah, so I grew up in the States. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is um, very near and dear to me. Growing up in the desert, I was very much in touch with the fact that climate change is upon us, that we have very limited, you know, um, natural resources, and we have to be good stewards of the environment. And so I have always wanted to go to Africa. Um, I'm a diasporist, which means, you know, someone who at some point in time had ancestors that were separated from the African continent. And I felt incredibly strongly in 2020 that I needed to be in Africa. I needed to connect with my roots. Um, and this was after my sister had done a DNA test and we're you know, such a multicultural ethnic family, which is one of the most amazing things I think about America is this melting pot that it is that allows me to be here today. Um, I have ancestors from over two dozen countries and half of those are in Africa. And I realized that I was Kenyan and didn't know it and felt very strongly called to go there, to spend time there um, and really immerse myself in the culture, but also um, didn't really go with the goal of starting the Vegan Africa Fund or anything. Um, the goal is really to do what I felt called to do and to continue following that path and that mission. So I went to Africa. I got a one-way ticket in 2020 um, and stayed for over a year traveling across East, East Africa. And the whole time building up my network of eco-entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I've been vegan for years, so the first people I connect with anytime I travel is usually the vegan community in some way. And I realized that there is an abundance of amazing entrepreneurship and products that we're seeing um, being produced by these community-driven ventures, by these African founders that historically lack access to capital to scale their operations. And they're doing absolutely amazing things, but a lot of it is done by hand where there's limited machinery, there's, little, there's very little infrastructure. And I realized that part of my work in this world that I feel very aligned with is helping resolve some of the funding gaps and some of the capital gaps. Africa has been 
absolutely exploited for centuries. I think we can all agree upon that. And even today, it's not getting the investment recognition that it needs, where the global community thinks they're supporting Africa, but a lot of the money going there is going to nonprofit initiatives, it's being donated, and it's not being invested in ways that help these communities create wealth, which is so desperately needed, especially when you look at the colonial history and how these communities have been just totally cut off from wealth creation opportunities for generations. So what do you see in Kenya, where I know you spent the most time, but you've been lots of places and you're going to be going lots more. But, but just in Kenya, uh, how, how vegan is it? How easy is it to be vegan? It is incredibly easy to be vegan in Kenya, so much so that I would say many Kenyans eat a largely plant-based diet where meat is seen as more of a luxury item. It's not something that is generally taken in every day. But so many of the staple foods are totally vegan. There are things that were very familiar to me, um, you know, growing up in the U.S. and associated with, you know, African-American culture, things like collard greens and black eyed peas and grits. Like these are all things that in Kenya are found in a different form where they have black eyed peas that they cook in coconut milk. They call them cow peas, but this is a super good vegan dish. Um, they make something called Sakuma Wiki, which is collard greens. That's um, very easily, of course, like it's always vegan. And then there's even further than that. There's an abundance of plant-based businesses and startups and people making everything from, you know, um, soy milk, hemp milk, pea milk, tofu, meat substitutes, chicken substitutes, um, cultured coconut yogurt and beverages, things like that the whole world is trying to get at their feet and at their doorsteps. You see all of the raw materials like jackfruit to make meat substitutes. They're really found in abundance in Kenya. Um, and so it's incredibly easy. I would recommend anyone who's listening to this who wants to go on a vegan African you know, safari adventure, um, you know, any kind of trip, Kenya is an amazing place to go. I can definitely give some recommendations. Um, and as far as what I saw in the vegan movement in Kenya was a very investable landscape. So I lived in Mombasa and um, I still consider it my second home, but I was there for on and off for over a year. And I started um, traveling about an hour away to visit Kenya's first vegan restaurant. It's called Vegan Basket and it's located just steps away from the beach in the town called Kulifi in Kenya, an hour from Mombasa. And the owners of Vegan Basket, Jalel and Gitari, have been vegan for eight and 14 years, respectively. They are both Kenyan, they're both passionate about spreading the health and wellness of a plant-based diet to their community. And when I met them, they're running this restaurant, first vegan restaurant in Kenya, one of the only ones on the Kenya coast, but they were really struggling to expand their operations. Like they had more customers than they could even feed because they didn't have the capacity to process all the food products and to what their final products were. Um, and I was inspired by them. I would go there for months on end and just grew to know these founders and grew to learn about their vision, which wasn't actually just having a restaurant, but it was really being a premier producer of plant-based substitutes for their community, things like cashew-based cheese products and vegan meat substitutes and veggie burgers. 
And I felt so aligned with everything that they were trying to do that I made my first um, small investment into Vegan Basket, which turned into me investing in them over a period of eight months. We actually helped them expand their physical location by more than 50%, um, expanded their kitchen operations so that they could move into this value-added food processing and actually begin to, aside from just the um, restaurant-facing kitchen side, provide these packaged vegan alternatives to their local community, scaling up to send them out to all the restaurants in the area and eventually scaling to go beyond that. And this is not just um, vegan basket that this can work with. There are incredible startups, incredible entrepreneurs who are creating the, what I believe will be some of the leading global products and brands and one thing that I'm really interested in um, as the you know, vegan movement is growing is really lifestyle brands, you know, things that make people feel like they're part of a community and they aren't just about the product, but it's about how your life can be better and you can engage in this community through these products. So I realized, while it's great that you know, I started investing in Vegan Basket, um, I needed to do more. So I started building this directory of vegan businesses and sent out the first network survey early in 2021, maybe in June, just asking these founders um, what their struggles were and what their goals were. And I sent the survey to vegan entrepreneurs in 12 countries in Africa. And time and time again, their responses were that they lacked access to a network and they lacked access to capital um, to expand their operations. And so we have been building and bridging the Vegan Africa Fund Network or the BAF Network to bring together these vegans. Um, we sponsored VegFest Morocco back in November 2021, which brought together 50,000 people to speak about veganism. It was an incredible event um, that was streamed on Facebook Live. Anyone can watch that on the VegFest Morocco Facebook page. We had some awesome guests for that event. We had Moby, we had the CEO of Million Dollar Vegan, we had... Um, the director of Meet the Future, Liz Marshall, that all came together along with uh, dozens of African entrepreneurs and activists to speak about the need for a pan-African vegan community. This is something that's very needed. But when I dug into what's going on in the continent, what is the venture capital landscape like? I found out that there was no venture capital initiative focused on scaling vegan operations on the continent and it's absolutely necessary. The vegan alternative protein sector is one of the fastest growing markets in the world right now. It's expected to grow over 500% according to Bloomberg Intelligence in the next decade. So this is obviously a really awesome opportunity for growth and for wealth creation. And what my passion is, is making sure that African entrepreneurs have the ability to participate in those wealth creation cycle, especially given that so much history on the continent revolved around a plant-centric diet. This is so exciting. And I loved how you just lit up when you said the <laughs> fun. And so I just want to let everybody know, and this will of course be in the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net, but veganafricafund.com, the Vegan Africa Fund on Facebook, Vegan Africa Fund on Instagram and on Twitter. So follow these great people everywhere. Find out more about it. This is so cool. Now, here's my big question. 
yes. that you are wanting to invest and you are investing in these, these businesses in Africa. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you're going to do this is with cryptocurrency, yes. which leaves Victoria Moran going, uh. <laughs> so if anybody else is like that, give us crypto 101. So 101, the very basics to crypto is it's really a fancy term for a ledger that is decentralized, which means it's held across many computer servers um, and it's completely public as well. So the blockchain is a public decentralized ledger where every single transaction that's ever happened is recorded. Anyone who has access to the internet can see these transactions and the goal, I think, with cryptocurrency is to, you know, enable financial liberation and freedom. So I, you know, always tell the story that when I went to Kenya for the very first time, um, my debit cards were getting declined. My banks didn't realize I was there, even though I told them I was there um, and I needed to have cash. And instead of waiting the like six hours that I would have for the U.S. banks to wake up, I was able to trade a small amount of cryptocurrency into my local currency um, within seconds. And so really what crypto does is it gives you financial control over your assets, but it also allows for investment exposure to different companies. And so the way that the Vegan Africa Fund is set up is we've launched the VAF Impact Crypto, where investors who invest in VAF are holding a stake in the Vegan Africa Fund. So you can think of this like digital equity in our company. And for all the investors funds that go into VAF, we use those invested assets to support our network of entrepreneurs across Africa. The investor holds this VAF crypto, which given time is actually projected to grow both in value and in utility. With all the ventures that we partner with in our network, we're working to increase pan-African food trade and global food trade. Right now, Africa is in a huge food trade deficit. They actually import $40 billion more worth of food every single year than what they export. And we want to be one of the leaders in um, exported vegan products from Africa. And so part of our target investor segment is people who work in plant-based food distribution or own vegan grocery stores um, who can invest in VAF now. Their investment hold a stake in the Vegan Africa Fund, which means they hold a stake in all of our portfolio companies. And once those companies have scaled up their operations using that capital that early investors are putting in, we're working with our portfolio ventures to come under a shared export license and send these high value African products. These are things like vegan leather products, um, eco-friendly packaged products, things that are like vegan meat and cheese and dairy substitutes. Um, actually putting those all in shipping containers, sending them around the world, and investors are able to use their VAF to redeem for these products and services. And so the VAF is a digital representation of your support of the Vegan Africa Fund. And that's what a lot of crypto is. It is essentially allowing investment exposure to global network of organizations or companies. Um, there are many different cryptos, many different blockchains, But the one that we're working on is one of the most eco-friendly in the world, which was one of our biggest targets was for us to use a currency and use mechanisms that are still climate positive. 
So I have heard that some cryptocurrencies aren't vegan, are not eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we're all going to go invest in yours, so we don't really need to know this. But <laughs> just for curiosity's sake, why are some of them not? What makes them um, something that most of us wouldn't want to be part of? Yeah, so there are a few mechanisms for how cryptocurrency is secured. And the oldest and original mechanism is something called proof of work, which is where these computer servers do something called crypto mining. You might have heard about mining. It's basically the act of running these algorithms and these long lines of code to verify and validate transactions across this network of computers in order to mine the next block in the blockchain or create and confirm the transactions that have just occurred. And mining is incredibly energy inefficient. Um, So just for a little bit of scale for the listeners, because our goal is focused on impact and we um, definitely want to be offsetting our carbon emissions. So if you were to look at the top two cryptocurrencies and compare them to VAF, both Bitcoin and Ethereum use crypto mining, this energy intensive mechanism. And VAF uses something, it's called a decentralized acrylic graph, which is another mechanism, uh, very technical of confirming these transactions on the blockchain, but it's very energy efficient and highly scalable and cheap. The transaction costs are very low. But for Bitcoin, if you were to try to offset the energy from 1 trillion Bitcoin transactions, it would require you to plant over 4 million trees. You wanted to offset the energy from 1 trillion Ethereum transactions, it would require you to plant over 300,000 trees. A little bit more energy efficient, but that's still a lot of carbon used. And if you're to offset the energy used from a trillion VAF transactions, it would require you to plant 4,500 trees. So we are orders of magnitude more energy efficient than the top cryptocurrencies out there. And I believe that the next wave of innovation in the crypto space and the next wave of capital flow is really going to be into these eco coins, into things that will have a positive impact like VAF, which is scaling sustainable entrepreneurship um, and that use less energy for the transactions. So we are, you know, working on the cutting edge of technology, very excited to be at the intersection of blockchain and veganism, and really encourage the world to invest in the vegan future in Africa. Um, For all your listeners to know, the investment disparity right now is massive. Just to give you a little perspective, the global startup ecosystem deployed about $620 billion dollars worth of venture capital in 2021, $620 billion. And Africa received 4.6 billion of that 620 billion. That's less than 1%. And the African continent has 17% of the global population. I was reading an article today, the city of Miami, 500,000 people received the same amount of venture capital invested as the entire continent of 1.2 billion people in Africa. That's 2,500 times more people receive the same amount of investment as a small US city. Like that's even nothing compared to cities like Chicago, New York, and LA. So when we're talking about um, investing and meeting 
the sustainable development goals, which is one of our targets um, that we're working towards along with the global community of sustainable entrepreneurs. We realize that we need innovative and creative solutions to these funding gaps. So in addition to um, the Vegan Africa Fund operating, as I've described before, we're also really passionate about decentralization, which is a cornerstone of cryptocurrency. Decentralization means that decisions are made throughout the network through some kind of voting consensus mechanism and that this is something that can be sustained long time. So we're working on network integrations right now that allows all of our investors to come into this viewpoint where they can see all of the ventures we're investing in and actually start to guide and direct their capital based on that. So if you are interested and excited about investing in the vegan movement in Africa, we are on wavelength. <laughs> this is one of my passions. This is something I will constantly be speaking about because I'm speaking on behalf of thousands or millions of entrepreneurs who lack access to channels like this and networks like this to be able to bring to global attention the needs of this you know, very underfunded, historically underfunded continent. And if you feel inclined to get involved, you can visit our website at veganafricafund.com invest. And if you want to reach out to me to learn more about our mission and what we do, feel free to email hello at veganafricafund.com or you can find me, Sunny Sattva, on any of your social media at sunny for earth Beautiful. And tell me about the name. How did you get Sunny Sattva? Oh, Sunny Sattva is my spirit name. Sunny has been a nickname for a very long time, and I actually decolonized my name through legal court procedures um, in 2022. I'm very excited about. And Sunny reminds me to always be sunny, to always find the bright side. And Sattva is um, a shortened version of this Sattvic intention in um, Indian culture, which is to you know, take in as many high vibrational products as you can, eat lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, and to maintain a mindset of openness and compassion and acceptance of the world around you. And these are the things I strive for in my life. The names, I, uh, and I believe that you know, the most beautiful sound to one's ears should be the sound of your own name. And I love Sunny Sattva. Wow, well, I love it too. And you know what? We can't all be named Sunny Sattva, but we can <laughs> all be thinking like that. We can all be sunny and we can all strive for that, that elevated truth and beauty sattvic way of living. So yeah. everybody, the website is veganafricafund.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting us low these almost 10 years. And to everybody listening, God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. 
And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.